Welcome to Vision Insights, a podcast series produced by Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I'm your host, Cameron Sisser, Senior Vice President, and I'm looking forward to exploring an exciting topic with two very special guests. Fans of television's Star Trek The Next Generation will remember the character of Lieutenant Commander Geordi LaForge, Chief Engineer of the Starship Enterprise. Geordi, played by LeVar Burton, was born blind, but gained enhanced vision by wearing an optical visor that was implanted into his cortical nerves. Although Geordi's 24th century visor remains the stuff of science fiction, current advances in wearable technology are benefiting persons with low vision. Joining me today to discuss the latest devices for the visually impaired are Gus Alexu, diversity inclusion contributor for Forbes magazine, and John Garcia, manager of Miami Lighthouse's Low Vision Solution Center and LighthouseShop.org. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Let's start our conversation with a big picture look. Gus, breakthrough technologies have created new opportunities for persons with a wide range of disabilities. What are some of the technological trends with the largest impact on persons with special needs from your perspective? The biggest technological trend um, for the last 15 years or so has certainly been the proliferation of smartphones. So, you know, now pretty much everyone has a smartphone and they have changed the picture completely for both accessibility and I think what's possible for low vision. I mean, the simple fact that a company like Apple um, have a commitment to accessibility, um, not just for people with low vision, but all, all disabilities through the iPhone mean that people with disabilities are no longer sort of tethered to their to their desktops anymore and they can enjoy these accessibility features out and about wherever they are, like the rest of the population. Um, but I certainly think in terms of the low vision use case, the fact that these phones increasingly have high-end cameras built into them and so much research and development has gone into making these cameras small, micro cameras, micro, micro displays, so these pocket uh, pocket devices, mean that for people with low vision, they can do things with their smartphone cameras, uh, like, for example, take a photograph of a shop sign, a street sign from a distance, the back of a packet uh, of something in a shop, for example, and just use the camera to zoom in on that. And it means that we can use technology a little bit more seamlessly. We're not having to use third-party tech so much to do these kind of things. We can take photos of things out and about, and members of the public don't look at it twice because to them it just looks like someone using their smartphone. So it's this kind of mainstreaming, I think, that the smartphone has has, has brought for people with low vision. That's the biggest boon. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting. The the advances in uh, technology with the smartphone has really helped, especially the blind and visually impaired. John, most of the items you sell at Miami Lighthouse's Vision Solutions Center are intended for persons with low vision, from simple magnifiers to high-tech devices like the OrCam and eSight. Please tell us some of the more interesting technology-based devices and how they help with independence and define what it is to mean to live with low vision. Okay. The, for, the first thing is the definition of low vision in the state of Florida is that a person with an eye measurement of 2200 is considered legally blind. Uh, that 2200 is their eye measurement. Like when you go to the eye doctor and you get a 2020 reading, that's your eye measurement or your eye acuity. So what 2200 means for someone to be diagnosed as low vision, meaning somebody with perfect vision, 2020 vision, can stand 
200 feet away from an object and see it, where someone who is 2200 has to be 20 feet in front of the object to see it. So it means their vision is much more decreased. And another way of defining someone with low vision in the state of Florida is their visual field, seeing how much they, how much they can see to their right, to their, their peripheral left and right. If their degree of visual field is 20 degrees or less, they're also considered to be illegally blind. They could have 20-20 vision, but have a small visual field, and that's considered legally blind in the state of Florida. Now, the, the technologies and the equipment that we sell for these people range anywhere from a electronic CCTV portable device that magnifies the print large enough so they could see it. We also have our main one of the main things we sell a lot of are handheld magnifiers because people think that when they come to the lighthouse, they could come get a pair of glasses to see things bigger. They don't understand that glasses have their limits. When you reach the limit of what you could use, you can make a pair of glasses in, but you still need to see the next step is magnification. And mainly we sell a lot of handheld devices and then, of course, a lot of electronic devices because what the electronic device does, it reverses the the effect of what a magnifier does because as magnifiers get bigger as far as strength the lens gets smaller and people want to have to see more and see more of it but bigger and the way to accomplish that is through electronic magnification so some of the devices that we sell would be the compact 10 portable cctv the visilux portable cctv and one of the things we do sell a lot of are the or cams what the OrCam is, the OrCam is a device that would scan and read a document to the person. So if we have a person who's severely low vision or is blind, they could still say, stay independent using these devices. The one thing I always say to people when they come to the store or when I do a presentation, I say to them, just because you're visually impaired or blind doesn't mean you can't do things the way you used to before you became visually impaired and blind. You just have to do them differently. Now, the new thing that we've been carrying in the store is the eSight. The eSight is a wearable CCTV that mounts on, you know, you wear it like a, like a, like a pair of glasses. It has a camera mounted in the middle, and, the, and it allows you to see things much bigger, much closer, and much more magnified. With the eSight, what's good about that, it has different capabilities to give you some independence back, meaning you could... You could walk around with it. You could watch TV with it. You can do work on a computer with it. So it's much more flexible. And that's the latest device that we have right now that we've been selling a lot of here at the Lighthouse. Yeah, John, you, you've been doing, you've been in this industry for a while, and I'm sure you've seen the technological advances that have happened just in the last probably five or 10 years. This is correct. I've been, I've been in my, my family's been in the optical business since 1971. And I started doing low vision in 1991 with my cousin. And when eSight first came out, it was a big, big hair, a head worn device. And I've seen things change. CCTVs back then weighed 80 pounds with the big monitors. Now they're flat screens, very light, uh, much more powerful, much more flexibility with cameras rotating so you can see things at a distance, see yourself. And the, the industry has changed a lot. But what's what's changed a lot is that it's becoming the, the options for people who are vision impaired are much greater than they were 20 years ago. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. Gus, you've done countless hours of research on wearable devices for people with vision impairments through your work with Forbes. What's one of the most interesting stories about how new technology has improved the life of someone with a vision impairment? Uh, well, Cameron, I can give you a, I can give you two two interesting stories actually, because I think that there are different use cases for these types of wearable devices, and it, it depends on whether 
it's it's a wearable for somebody with no vision who, who who is completely blind or somebody who is low vision and is wanting to use natural sight enhancement um and they both work along the same principle uh which is that the camera is picking up items uh, from you know picking up visual cues from the outside world and then providing some kind of um some kind of enhancement to that except when in the in the case of a blind of blind use that will then be an auditory feed coming back to the person so um, um john mentioned all cam that's 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 actually how all cam works that you would look at a piece of text the camera because your head is pointed there the camera knows that it's looking at a piece of text it processes it and then it's read back into the ears um of the of the wearer so they can absorb the text uh, but so, so for, for for blind use, one one device that did it in, interest me actually was a device called um, Envision Smart Glasses, and it's just a little story I heard about it, which 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 I found quite touching but quite compelling, but just remarkably simple as well. Which was uh, a user uh, in Scotland. He was using the device uh, during lockdown, and he what this device does is it has a feature whereby it can actually connect itself to the smartphone of a member of a friend or family of the user. So he had he had his sister nominated as an ally on the, I think the app, it's actually called the Ally app. Um, so he had his sister nominated as an ally on this and he was at home, this was during the lockdown um, when it was difficult to go to shops and things like this. And he, he, he contacted his sister through the device and he was looking through his kitchen cupboard and wanting to arrange the different tins of food and work out what food he had and what food he, he didn't have. So he did this all with his sister. He was he was in Edinburgh and she was over in Fife, forgive me better at the distance, but it's a considerable distance between those those two places. And she helped him from that remote distance organize these these tins of food, which was a which was just just, just I found quite compelling. In terms of the low vision use case, I'm I'm a low vision user myself, and I actually own a device um, called Iris Vision, um, which is essentially a smartphone on a VR on a VR headset. And one thing that I loved about it is that um, before I had low vision, uh, when I was when I was younger, two things I used to love was to go to the theatre and to go to uh, football matches, actually soccer matches, as you might call them, over there in the. Uh, over there in the US, and um, I was unable to do both of those activities, particularly the football matches, given, given that it's a football is a fast-moving uh, game with a small item, the ball that you've got to monitor as it goes around the pitch. And yet, with that device, I was able to do both those things. I was able to, able to go to the theatre again, and I was able to go and enjoy uh, football games again, sitting in the stadium with the crowd. And no device has enabled or no, no workaround has enabled me to do that for many many years so i think that's sometimes one of the most joyous and compelling things with with accessibility when you can actually recapture a lost activity or something that's been lost for many many years and then suddenly a technological breakthrough comes and you can do it again um i think that's an extremely satisfying thing so those would be my my two examples Thanks, guys. Yeah, those, those are two uh, incredible stories about how technology is really leveling the playing field for for those who are visually impaired. You hail from from England, and I would be remiss not to mention the metaverse in this podcast on our latest and greatest technological advances. You recently wrote a story for Forbes titled, Is the Metaverse Likely to Be Accessible and Inclusive to People with Disabilities? Uh, can you tell us what you found in doing that research and equate those advances in technology to advances in accessibility? Sure. I mean, 
the short answer really is that we don't know yet because there, there, there seems to be a degree of debate uh, over what, still a degree of a debate over what the metaverse actually is and will be. Some people are, are saying that it'll be nothing more than a glorified computer game. And at the other extreme end, people are saying it will be a brand new version of the internet and it will replace the internet that, that, that we have now eventually. So it could be any of either of those two things or anything on that spectrum, us not knowing exactly what the metaverse will be or how it will turn out does make it difficult to make these uh, to make these predictions. But I, I mean, I think certainly what it looks like is that the guardians of the early metaverse at this day, I mean, certainly a, a, a huge tech company like Facebook have actually changed their name to Meta to show their commitment towards it. So it's very likely that the guardians of the metaverse, whatever that will be, will be companies like Meta, Google, Apple, Microsoft of this world, and all of those companies, they have accessibility departments, they have accessibility divisions within them. And so therefore, I think there is a good chance that there will be people whose job it is to think about what accessibility in the metaverse will actually look like. I guess the danger going in the other direction is whether, and this is a debate about metaverse technology generally, about whether it should be a centralized thing controlled by a few small tech cuts or a few big tech companies, but a small group of big tech companies, or whether it actually should be a more dispersed, you know, more dispersed equitable entity. Now, if it becomes more dispersed and there's more, more and more and more providers, that could be difficult for uh, people with disabilities because are there going to be proper access standards and is everyone going to be thinking about disability? I mean, I think the other the other issue I found quite interesting with with metaverse is that there's lots of talk of the use of avatars and the, you know the use of avatars for both leisure, gaming, even going, even work meetings and things like this. And I wonder what it will do to disability identity. Um, for example, you know, we're, we're, will someone with a disability actually want an avatar that has a cane or a crutch uh, or a wheelchair, or will they go completely the other way and want to look like a ninja or something like that and throw away their, or, or potentially park their dis disability identity for that time? So I find that that would be quite an quite an interesting thing. And I, I think the other angle, of course, of metaverse is around hardware. And, um, you know, people are talking a lot about the use of these VR VR headsets. And I think this is where I, it, it could intersect quite importantly with accessibility, because I think it's very important, especially if we do want to have an accessible metaverse to make sure that we're involving people with disabilities in the testing process for these things. And that they're from the get go, that it doesn't become an afterthought. And if you are looking to design things like, for example, a very light, very comfortable, very intuitive headset, almost the best group of people to test with will be people with disabilities because they will benefit the most from something like that. And yet that will also benefit all users. So it, even with it, where it's the metaverse or it's the first generation of the internet, it comes back to that same principle that accessible products actually end up benefiting everyone, not just people with disabilities. So I hope that that, that will hold true. Uh, for the internet of tomorrow. That's fascinating, Gus. I really think that, you know, whether you like these big companies, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, they're definitely here to stay. And for the most part, they're definitely here to benefit the blind and visually impaired community. Switching gears, John, the Miami Lighthouse Vision Solution Center is an authorized dealer of the OrCam, eSight, and other impressive technologies. If someone wants to purchase these technological devices, how do they do so? There's three ways someone could go about um, getting these devices from the Solution Center here in Miami Lighthouse. One, they could simply come by, see what we have. 
or they could call to see, you know, what I have in stock and I could describe over the phone what it is. And some people who do call, they already kind of know what they're looking for and what their needs are. Or the third place is they could visit our website, which is lighthouseshop.org, and we have our products online as well. The preferred version or the preferred way would be for them to actually come in and physically touch the device, check it out to see if it works with them because everyone's vision is a little bit different. And to make sure you're getting the right product, the best thing is to come by the store, see it, try it out, and make sure it works for you in the manner you want it to work for. What type of clients do you usually serve? What range of, of needs and, and ages do you serve? Uh, when I first started in the low vision, I, most of my clients were 65 and older, 70 and older. Now, uh, you know, almost 30 years later, I'm seeing a lot of teenagers, 20-year-olds, uh, young, young adults uh, um, having to come by and, and who, who are being struck with some type of low vision, whether it be star guards or other device or other conditions. And, and I see a lot of students, high school students, college students, professionals. That's what I see a lot of now. So way back when, when it was strictly a senior citizen issue, it no longer is. So the range is actually from teenagers all the way through seniors. Thanks, John. Finally, Gus, your position is as diversity and inclusion contributor at Forbes magazine gives you a rather unique perspective about the future of major technological advances for persons with low visions and perhaps even individuals who are totally blind. Can you share with us some thoughts about the future when it comes to technological advances for the blind moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what we're potentially moving to with, with, with wearable technology is a step change where a device becomes a bit more universal. So at the moment, I think John will agree with this. Um, one of the thing, one of the features of low vision technology is it is very, very task specific. So you end up having a device for reading documents, a device for a piece of software for accessing the computer, uh, some, you know, things for things for the smartphone, uh, non-electronic devices for viewing things at distance. So it's it's all very dispersed and. You know, I think it's often referred to in this country. I've heard the saying, uh, "the low vision toolbox." Of you know, because people take so many many items with them. So, I think the hope is that consolidating things into one device. I mean, even with the wearables that we have now, they are they are also of themselves quite task specific. So, yes, I mentioned the device I use to go and watch a football game or go to the theatre, but then of course you're only using that for a couple of hours, and then it might be gathering dust for a few weeks or months before. The, the next event or so 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 i i think you know moving to something that could be almost like a device being worn all day in the same way as deaf people uh use hearing aids and it's that it's this that providing that constant enhancement all day might be an interesting thing to see if we can move into that sort of space with low vision technology in the future i mean the challenge with that is of course to make something like that's lightweight and unobtrusive enough, socially acceptable enough, comfortable enough that people will actually want to do that and move away from the kind of toolbox approach of picks up. Gus, I'm going to have to interrupt here and, and, and actually agree with you. You're absolutely correct. I feel the same way that if I feel the future is going more towards something more um, streamlined, more like universal looking. It doesn't, doesn't sound 
it's not so big and so protruding and it stands out. You blend in with the crowd. Also having the ability to have OCR built in with, with magnification, like you just mentioned, doing two, do, doing two things on one device and being, and being mobile, being lightweight and being, and being accessible to most, to you know everyone out there who is visually impaired. And hopefully by doing that, and if, if more people or more companies get into this, maybe the cost of these devices will also come down as well. So I also agree with you, Gus. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's a huge tech challenge. I mean, the, 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 you know, getting something to be that size and, and still be immersive and, and, and wearable and socially acceptable. I think the, the positive thing that we have going for us as people uh, with, uh, with blindness and low vision is that actually the big tech companies are also increasingly thinking about um, augmented reality and having, you know, some, um, some, some people are saying that they think that one day the glasses smart glasses will actually be the next generation of the smartphone that people will wear will, will wear glasses and you know messages and things like this will pop up in the glasses or direction map directions will pop up in the glasses and it will look just like and for those to work that they will look just like a pair of ordinary glasses and so it will be interesting to see to what extent low vision can piggyback off the back of those technologies which will have the investment and actually leverage something uh, for people with low vision because certainly you know, it, it, it needs that. It needs that degree of investment. And I think the last area um, that we, that could also be interesting for people with low, low vision is the area of brain-computer interfaces. I mean, you mentioned uh, Star Trek at the beginning, but you know, almost having if 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 the smart glasses were connected to some kind of chip uh, in 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 the head, would it be possible, um, for example, someone to look at something and just think about the concept of of zooming in and it would just zoom much like the human eye does or, you know, read out some text, you know, and it would be instantaneous rather than what we have at the moment with, with wearables, which is right. Well, got to find the button or the, or, or the pad, press it down, select the menu. It all becomes a bit clunky. Whereas if we, if, if brain computer interfaces are involved with be, be they external brain computer interfaces or internally implanted, uh, brain computer interfaces like Elon Musk wants to do with Neuralink, um, that could be fascinating as well. So it's, a, it's a potentially exciting future ahead. Thanks, Gus, and and thanks for putting a bookend uh, on on this podcast. Uh, thank you both, Gus and John, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. There's definitely a common theme: uh, making things easier with with technological advances and more accessible to the blind and visually impaired. Thank you both for sharing uh, your knowledge with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. You are listening to Vision Insights, a podcast series produced by Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. My name is Cameron Sisser. I welcome your questions, comments, and suggestions about this podcast series by contacting me at C-S-I-S-S-E-R at MiamiLighthouse.org. You can also follow us on social media by searching on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for Miami Lighthouse. Vision Insights is brought to you by LighthouseShop.org. Do you or do you know someone suffering from vision loss? Visit LighthouseShop.org for all your low vision needs, from magnifying glasses to solar shields to talking watches. LighthouseShop.org is there for you.